Just yesterday, in fact, we celebrated, and we still celebrate for eight days, Christmas. The birth of Jesus. God becoming a human being. And the Sunday immediately following Christmas, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family. It is a reminder to all of us that God came into this world to sanctify it. And that starts at home. When the church herself in the Catechism and in the Second Vatican Council talks about the family and the home, it talks about a domestic church. In other words, the church that exists here comes from the family and augments what is already started at home. Husbands and wives who love one another, who love their children, who teach them the faith, who encourage them in the faith, who pray together, come here to worship God, to be fed by His particular and unique grace that is in the sacraments, so that you can go back into your family. The family is the foundation of the Christian life. Certainly, it comes in many different forms, and we experience it as such. And I think it's fair to say that no one's family matches the beauty and the perfection of the family of Nazareth, of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Theirs is a unique family in the history of the world, but it shows to us what God desires for all of us, that intimacy, that power. Fulton Sheen has this wonderful saying, it's a little quick, pithy thing, typical of Fulton Sheen, that Jesus spent 30 years obeying his mother and father in Nazareth, three years preaching and three hours saving. And it's a good reminder to us that it's the work that we do in the family that's unnoticed, that's silent, that's sometimes difficult to endure, that prepares us for the great work that God has in store for us outside of the home. Because we are disciples of Jesus. We follow his example. We rejoice in the great gift that marriage is, not only to those who experience it, but to the church. What a beautiful and wonderful thing it is, so much so that God raises this natural thing to the supernatural sacrament that it is. A lifelong conjugal union of one man and one woman with mutual and complete fidelity for procreation and education of the children. Wonderful and beautiful. Now again, not every marriage is going to meet all of those things at every single moment of their existence. But the Lord has established this and raised it up and given grace to those who enter into the sacrament. All of what they need so that they can live in that reality. But again, we know in our own experience of family, whether our parents, whether the family you have right now, or whether you're as a child, or whether you have children, we all have experiences where family has in some way hurt us or failed us. I often talk that family is a great way to learn how to love because they're the people who are always in your life, and for the most part, you don't get to choose who those people are. So it's a great way to learn how to love sacrificially, selflessly, because they're always going to be there. And at the biggest parts of your life, as well. And certainly there are forces within our culture, society at large, that go against the family and our understanding and the beauty of it. But the more I think and pray about it, the more I wonder if we are not our own biggest enemy with regards to living out the beauty of marriage, the beauty of family life that the Lord has instituted for us. Right? It's a lifelong, unique commitment to fidelity. 
And I'm not saying that, you know, marital infidelity runs rampant in the sense of, you know, being with someone else other than your husband or wife. But the question of fidelity is this. Is your spouse the most important person in your life? The most important thing in your life? That is the fidelity to which we are being called. In the second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, we have this, to our modern ears, difficult line of hus- our wives be subordinate to your husbands and husbands love your wives. That, that, we don't like that in our modern sensibility, our egalitarian sense. Okay, put that aside for a moment. What St. Paul is getting at here is that in marriage, husband and wife are called to die for each other. Your happiness is not in feeling good, but in giving yourself totally and completely to and for the well-being of the other person. That's the fidelity that the Lord desires. That's the fidelity that He has with us. We abandon God in our sins. We run from Him. We spurn Him. And guess what? He's right there every time we turn. He is never far from us. And that is the love that marriage images in this world. And so the question is, in your marriage, in your family, is that more important? than your career, more important than your possessions, because it has to be in order to live in accord with God's will. The other thing where I think we struggle with is the fruitfulness. Now, the reality is this. About 90% of young Catholics have left the church in the last 20 years. And I wonder, I really do wonder, because Pope Paul VI talked about this in Humanae Vitae, in an encyclical that he wrote in 1968 on the use of artificial contraception. That if we as a culture in in the marital embrace are withholding all that we have to offer the other person, how can we expect that not to influence our relationships and our handing on of the faith to other people and in particular to our children? Do we trust that the Lord will provide fully and totally for us? Do we use those gifts not just to be reckless, but to be fruitful and to trust that the Lord is going to give us exactly what He desires for us? And then for that to pour forth into all of our relationships. Now, I don't want to make this a homily about contraception. That's a conversation or a homily for another time. But I do want to point it out that we have to look into our own lives and into our own hearts to see how am I contributing to the living out of this beautiful grace of family and marriage. And St. Paul gives us in this reading, which is nowadays probably the most popular second reading at weddings I do, this wonderful roadmap. The first thing he says, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. St. Paul cuts through all of the human emotion and he says, this is what love is. He says, over all this put on love. He shows us what it means to love within the family. And he challenges each and every one of us to be patient and kind with each other. To be merciful. To say to those in our family especially, I'm sorry and I forgive you as much or more than we say I love you. Because our love is what we do. Our love is not how we feel. To be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle with each other is the great gift that we can offer in love to one another. The second thing that St. Paul challenges us to do is to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Often in our life in general, 
We can think that I am simply the product of the things that I do. But we are the sum of the Father's love for us. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We need to reflect upon that. And we need to reflect upon that reality with those we love the most. Those with whom we have intimate communion in the family. Not just to pray before meals, but to let prayer and prayer with Scripture permeate all that we do. The third thing St. Paul challenges us to do is to teach and admonish one another. We need to challenge each other, especially those people in our lives who know us the best and who we know the best, to be great. The great teachers and coaches in our life are not the ones who let us settle for mediocrity, but even when we reach a little success, push us to the next level. And so it is in our family. Can we push each other and encourage and exhort each other to not just be good people, but to be saints? We shouldn't settle for, hey, that's a good job. We should settle for, be the next St. Francis or Mother Teresa or Dorothy Day or one of these Oscar Romeros or whatever saint. Be that great saint and encourage and teach and admonish each other to do so. And the last thing, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus must be the center of my life individually and the most important relationships in my life. Jesus has to be the center for it to last, for it to grow, for it to be something that echoes through eternity. Growing up, I'm one of six kids. It was a hectic life. Having, my parents had six kids in six years, so there was a lot going on in our family. And yet, we knew every Sunday we were going to go to Mass. We knew we were going to pray before meals. We knew that Mom and Dad loved Jesus more than they loved me. And thanks be to God for that. Were Mom and Dad perfect? Far from it. I'll tell you after Mass, I got some stories. But Mom and Dad loved the Lord. They met at Mass on Holy Thursday, which is probably why they have a priest as a son. But because Jesus was first in their life, they met each other, and everything flows from that. What a blessing and a grace. When Christ is the center of our hearts and of our lives, when we hold ourselves up to him as our standard, we can then live in the fullness of his grace, mercy, beauty, goodness, and truth. The Lord calls each of us individually and each of us in our families to be like that beautiful, wonderful, holy family of Nazareth. To live in community and unity, saving each other and making the world a better place. Put Jesus in the middle of it, just as Jesus came into the middle of Mary and Joseph's lives and changed everything. So too he desires to do in your own life, in your marriage, in your parenting, and in every intimate relationship you have.